Have you realized yet that your purpose in life is constantly evolving? The thing is, it can only evolve, grow, and expand to the extent you're willing to do the work to heal. That's why I've created a transformative half-day virtual event designed for purpose chasers who want to integrate their authentic selves in every aspect of their life. Together, we're going to co-create conversations around reflecting on current patterns, amplifying your genuine desires, prioritizing fulfillment over the facade of what you should do, and we'll talk about achieving actual tangible results. I believe our work together will have a profound impact on your life as we break you out of autopilot, scale your potential, and set you up to attract everything you say you desire. Plus, this space will be an enjoyable and supportive environment for new connections with like-hearted purpose chasers from all over the world. Together, we will laugh, dance, and maybe cry, but we'll be doing the work together. If this speaks to your soul and you want to detox and release what's no longer serving you so you can live fully in the pillars of redefining wealth, tickets are currently complimentary for this half day of coaching, training, and co-creating a new blueprint for your heart's desires directly with me. So grab your ticket today at patricewashington.com slash soul detox. That's patricewashington.com slash soul detox. Yes, we can go try to acquire all the money that we want. But at the end of the day, what good is it if we don't have the wisdom to maintain it and sustain it? Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. And if you're brand new, here's what you need to know. This is a community that believes that wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. We believe in the 12th century definition of wealth, which is the condition of well-being. And so every week, we focus on well-being in six pillars, and these are the areas of life that impact our finances, even when we're not thinking about it. If you need to get caught up, and I suggest you do, head to patricewashington.com forward slash start here. Again, the pillars can be broken down for you at patricewashington.com forward slash start here. Before we dive into this week's episode, it's brought to you by our Redefining Wealth private Facebook community. Yes, we have a community of purpose chasers from all over the globe. I don't believe that greatness can be created in isolation. You need people and you need like-hearted, not just like-minded folks around you. So join our free Facebook community at IamAPurposeChaser.com. You'll get to meet purpose chasers who are near you. Yes, in your own country, wherever you are. You can suggest show topics and guests and even get early access to upcoming events and programs. Purpose chasers always know first. So join us at IamAPurposeChaser.com. Here's the last episode in the Remind series this summer. I really hope that you have enjoyed being reminded of who I am out in the world, having these different conversations from different perspectives. I know that you've also had an opportunity to just meet some really cool people that maybe you hadn't heard of otherwise. Today's episode is no different. The Get a Helmet podcast is phenomenal with the great Caroline Allward. And this one is definitely another opportunity to meet me from a different perspective. The Get a Helmet podcast is all about breaking free from anxiety and low self-worth. It's about plugging into your power and intuition and shining your authenticity 
forward. This was such a beautiful conversation and just a breath of fresh air. And I can't wait for you to listen. So without further ado, lean in. Patrice, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. I know that there's so much for me to learn from you. I guess the first place to start is tell me what your money story is. What is your history and your past with money and why you decided to do this work? Well, I think like many Americans in particular, Caroline, my money story started with not having any very direct conversations about money as a kid. I learned indirectly by listening to what people were saying and not saying or doing and not doing. I picked up, uh, you know, good and bad habits from those around me, in particular, my single mom and my single grandmother who raised me. And so when I got to the University of Southern California and I was walking down that corridor with the credit card people lined up giving away T-shirts and Frisbees, I was like, sign me up. What do I need to do? They're like, put your social down. And then 18 years old, after just having really learned my social to apply to get into college, I was like, give me the visor, the t-shirt and the knapsack and the fanny pack, whatever you have with USC on it, I want it. And what that got me was five credit cards and $18,000 worth of debt by the time I was a senior in college four years later. And I was introduced to real estate actually at around 19. So I had this awareness of personal finance. I still wasn't connecting the two, but in my introduction to the real estate industry, I started to learn a little bit more about savings, about debt elimination, about how credit cards actually worked. And I was learning because I was helping with files of people who were twice my age, three times my age, buying their first homes, but they had no idea about very basic personal finance concepts. And so in order to help myself be better at what I thought would just be a quick little job to make some money, I started to research more and more about money. I was fascinated by it. By 21 years old, I became a real estate and mortgage broker during during my senior year in college. And by 25, that business was a seven-figure business that my now husband, then good friend, and I ran. And I thought that I had hit the lotto. (laughs) I thought, Caroline, that I would, you know, ride off into the sunset, making great money, living how I wanted to live. I'm from Lemur Park, South Central Los Angeles, where I didn't grow up with seeing people with fancy cars or big houses or, you know, any of the luxury things. And here I am, 26, 27 years old, and I have all of those things and then some. And the recession hit. And when the Great Recession began as someone who was in real estate, we got the brunt of it very early. And I went from this seven-figure business to less than 18 months later, scraping up change to feed my newborn daughter. At the time that the banks were starting to close down, I had taken a fall down the stairs and I was in preterm labor in the hospital at just 20 weeks pregnant. And they said, ma'am, when I got to the emergency room, ma'am, I'm sorry, this baby is coming any minute now. There's nothing we can do. And I did the only thing I knew to do at the time, pray. And I start asking other people, calling people, asking them to pray. And what was supposed to be any minute now turned into me being on hospital bed rest for 10 weeks. And during the 10 weeks, I'm laying in the hospital. I have 16 real estate agents and loan officers on my team who cannot close a deal to save their lives. And I'm watching the banks on the news every day that we work with close down. 
one by one. And so the opportunities to even remotely get a file closed just started to disappear one by one. And I remember one day I was so upset and I was just, I was panicking. I was anxious. I was, I didn't know what to do because here I am used to being the person who can fix it for everyone. And now I can't even go to the restroom without having to call a nurse. So how can I fix anything for anyone else here in this scenario? And my doctor came into the room one day. I was around five weeks into my hospital stay. And she said, Patrice, I don't know what you're stressing about, but if you don't stop, you're going to leave here two years in a row with no baby. Because the year before I gave birth to a son prematurely and he passed away after five hours in my arms. Same hospital, same floor, same doctor. And I had to make a decision to surrender. And sometimes when I say surrender, people may think that that means giving up. It wasn't giving up, but it was letting go of the control and thinking that I could force or manipulate some type of outcome. I was at a place where literally I could do nothing but try to focus on the welfare of my baby, like my baby getting here safely, definitely not be worried about money or a deal or a credit score or a car note or a mortgage. None of those things matter to me for those next five weeks in the hospital to the point that my husband actually uh, and I, we asked the, the hospital to take the TV off the wall. So I wouldn't even be tempted to watch the news and allow it to upset me. And I got a, a iPod with gospel music and I got my Bible and a journal, a red leather journal. I still have to this day. And I wrote letters to my baby and I prayed and I wrote songs, even though I'm not a songwriter, but I just took lyrics to other songs and changed them to include my daughter's names. And I just prayed in faith and made it through that stay. My daughter was born at 30 weeks, three pounds, two ounces. And she stayed in the NICU a little less than a month. And I left that hospital with a healthy baby and a healthy amount of medical debt. My insurance had dropped me during this time. And Caroline, I ended up with nearly $400,000 in medical debt and no deals had closed. Maybe one or two, but nothing in comparison to all the things that I had going on at the time. And so my money story <laughs> is, is one of a lot of ups and downs, I think, like many of us. But I also believe that that entire season is what brought me to my defining moment and what I call my purpose in life and why I do what I do now. And the reason that I'm so you know, it's one thing to have passion. I became passionate about financial education when I was learning and reading the books and going to seminars, but now I have compassion. And had I not gone through that season, there's no way I can have the compassion that I have for people today. It, it, it would be impossible. And so my defining moment was when we sold everything in our 6,000 square foot home in Southern California that had foreclosed. Our two uh, luxury vehicles have been repossessed and we drove across country after selling everything on Craigslist in a weekend to live in a 600 square foot box of an apartment in Metairie, Louisiana. And in that place is where I had another moment to surrender. By then, my daughter was about nine, 10 months old. And my, my husband had taken her somewhere and I'll never forget the day I was in the little, my little tiny bathroom, which I would say at that time was my helmet. It was the place, the one place that I could go and just have some peace and 
get away and not let my family see me cry, which at that time I thought was a sign of weakness. So I was not comfortable crying in front of them. And I remember my husband took my daughter. I'm in that little bathroom and I'm in the mirror going, God, why me? Now, why me? I've been a good person. I don't bother people. I treat people with integrity. Like I try to operate my business in integrity. I did it right. I went to school. I got good grades. I graduated with honors. I started it like I, I'm, I'm rehearsing this like we do sometimes. Right. I'm going, wow, you did all this stuff. So how is it possible for you to be in this place? And I had uh, I call it like a come to Jesus moment. I was on the bathroom floor. It started. Look, I was in the mirror and then it turned into just like kind of tearing up. And then it turned into the bawling and snotting and crying. And then it turned into just on the bathroom floor in fetal position. And let me tell you, if you never had that moment, <laughs> you're blessed. I I'm like, why is it always the bathroom floor? <laughs> I feel like for every person, it's like, I was in my bathroom crying on the floor. <laughs> it's the bathroom floor. I'm telling you, like it goes down, it goes down in the bathroom. I was on that bathroom floor, literally balled up in fetal position, bawling, crying, and just like, God, why me? And I acknowledge it as like this still small voice, but I felt compelled to get my Bible. And I ended up on this scripture. It was Proverbs 17, 16. And it said, what good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? What good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? And I always tell people, doesn't matter what your faith is. That is an amazing quote. <laughs> like That is something to tuck away and be reminded that Yes, we can go try to acquire all the money that we want, but at the end of the day, what good is it if we don't have the wisdom to maintain it and sustain it? And that's the season I was in of like, okay, I, I thought that it was all about, you know, getting the degrees and the licenses and the certifications. And as long as I'm focused on being smarter, I should be fine. But there's a difference between knowledge and information and wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And I can tell you, not only did I think crying was a weakness, I used to think that asking for help was a weakness. So we went through all of this suffering in silence. My mom didn't even know what was going on with us. Wow. Wow. And that was the wake of call that there's no way. What good would it be to even rebuild my life if it wasn't based in wisdom, if it wasn't rooted in knowing how to seek wise counsel, being okay with saying, I don't know what I don't know. What good would it be? And that was March 9th, 2009. And ever since that day, I have literally been on this mission of if I can impact one person each day, then I did what I came to do because this is too good to keep to myself. And that's what I've been doing. Oh my gosh. I mean, what a story. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's incredible. There's so many moments there that are, like you said, those like come to Jesus moments and having to deeply surrender when all you want to do is try to control and, you know, sharing your upbringing just a little bit and, and not having money growing up and, and kind of struggling a little bit. And then getting to a place where you feel like I've done the thing, I've gotten into the good school. And now all the companies are telling you, here's some money for you. You're like, great money will save me. Of having course. the money will save me and having the, you know, being rich will save me when really it's like you said in the hospital, the compassion that you had to access and the vulnerability 
And just listening to that inner voice and that higher voice and whatever it is that you believe in, God, universe, source, the trees, whatever it is, there's something guiding you. And you listened and that's huge. I know. I It's funny. I think about all the times that I haven't though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can't like, relate. <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, if I were to be honest, looking back, there were signs. I call it like the boulder effect, right? Before like things usually drop on you, there were little pebbles, little rocks, little stones that kind of were placed along the path that were like, hey, watch out. Hey, 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 you may want to, you know, course correct here. You don't want to go down that path. And in my, I don't know if it was just the youth, but I was ignorant to those signs because when I look back, I remember running into, I think his name was Jerry and he was another mortgage broker in my office building and much older than I was. I'm in my twenties. He may have been in his fifties or maybe 60. So he had been around the block. He remembers the recessions in the eighties and, you know, he remembers all those things. And here I am young. I really don't have a frame of reference for those things. I'm just like 21, 22, 23, making money. So to me, this will go on forever. Right. And I remember two or three months before I went into the hospital, Jerry, I saw in the parking structure and he was packing his car up with like a box with like desktop. And I knew he owned the company. I'm like, he couldn't have gotten fired. <laughs> like what's yeah. happening? And he's like, oh, we, we've uh, negotiated getting out of our lease. He's like, we're all going to work from home or they're like, my team's going to work in my home office. And I thought to myself, poor Jerry, he just must not be closing deals. Right. But what I remember about Jerry is he would always say, did you read the paper? Did you read the paper? He would always say that. Do you read the paper? And I go, I don't really read the paper. If I would see him, we had a common kind of breakout area, room, kitchenette area. I'm like, no, I don't really read that. But he was always reading the paper. So he knew what was coming. Wow. He he knew the, mur- like he heard the murmurings of what was coming. And I had actually just renewed my lease in that building, which I was in a pretty expensive area in Manhattan Beach, California. So those are the things though, Caroline, where you're like, you know what? There were little things that happened along the path and I didn't heed. And this is a part of, why I said I wasn't used to seeking wise counsel. I wasn't, I didn't understand mentor. Now mentoring, coaching, all these things, we talk about it so regularly. It's just common knowledge. But back then I had never really heard of the concept much. Totally. So I wouldn't have even known to say, I don't know what I don't know. And then gone to seek help. I wasn't raised to do that. I was raised to figure it out. Right. Because like you said, like crying, it means you're weak. Asking for help means you're weak. And the thing that's going to make you appear strong and do the right thing and be good and successful in the world is to be steadfast and to figure it out on your own. And all of these different things that happened in your life were just like asking you to pause, asking you to take that different path and look into all of the things that matter and then get the wealth and sustain the wealth Mm -hmm. and do it from a place of wisdom and like embodiment and compassion. It's so beautiful. Jerry sounds like a little guardian angel. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely had several angels along the way 
I definitely have. I remember when I got up off that bathroom floor, I decided to start a free blog spot. I had just learned the term blog like two weeks before at a Starbucks. And I saw these women blog, like, you know, on their computers. And I was new in Metairie, Louisiana. And I was like, what are you you guys doing? And they were like, we're bloggers. And I was like, and that means what? Like, what? <laughs> like, and you go to work and do what? And they were like, we're mommy bloggers. I had no concept of that. I had a brick and mortar business. I didn't know anything about online stuff. But when they explained the concept, I was like, oh, that's nice. I'll never do. I never intended to be a mommy blogger or anything. So I was like, hmm, tuck it away for later. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I get up off the bathroom floor and the next morning I'm like, I could be a blogger. I just pulled it out. <laughs> I was like, oh, I could be a blogger. I should share this scripture and what I'm learning with other people. Like I should like talk about money principles from the Bible or, you know, from a spiritual perspective and all this. And so I started this ugly blogspot.com. Carolina it was the ugliest thing you've ever seen, but thank goodness it got me here. Cause sometimes yes. you have to start. It's not perfection. It's obedience. You just have to start. So I started and I, I, I did it weekly for several weeks, actually for some months. And at first my mom would read and, you know, she would give me feedback and stuff. My husband would read a few friends would read. And I was okay with that. Cause I was like, if it helps, you know, somebody else, I didn't know anything of, I didn't have Facebook or LinkedIn or any of these things. I was just starting. And then I remember after several weeks realizing none of my friends were like acknowledging it anymore. I think they were like, uh, this is cute, but stop sending us these email blasts, right? Yeah. My mom hadn't looked at it. I asked my husband one day, like, did you read my post yesterday? And he's like, ah, ooh, hmm. And I'm like, okay. So I was like, nobody cares about this. Just stop. You, you need to find a real job and go do something. So I made a LinkedIn account and I was determined to be a grown up yeah. <laughs> and find a real job. And I didn't post for several weeks. And out of the blue, a man sent me an email and said, hey, I was enjoying your blog post. Haven't seen you in a while. Hope you're okay. Oh my gosh. What a precious angel. And I, first of all, I was scared because I didn't know that people could just find it. I thought you had to send it to people, right? <laughs> yes. So I'm like, who is this strange man? How did he get my email? Like, I have no idea how all these things work. Totally, totally. <laughs> and yeah, I ended up going on the back end. Like I had never even thought like analytics. I didn't know what any of this stuff meant, man. I, I went back there and saw that other people had commented here and there. I had to go in and approve comments to be posted. I didn't know that was a thing. So I saw, wow, other people that I don't know had left comments. And then there was one post that had like a hundred views or something. And I was like, I've only been sending it to like 20 people. So a hundred views, this is a big deal. And that is the day that I decided that an audience of one will always be an audience for me. Oh my gosh. I love that. I need to hear that. I think everybody listening needs to hear that. Cause there's so many people in this community that have like, want to do these things and want to have these either side hustles or start these businesses or take that job that really feels good to them, but feel too scared or imposter syndrome gets in the way or self-doubt gets in the way. And that is such a beautiful message because the number one thing that matters in that situation is that you were digging it. 
You know what I mean? I and then, like, it. it was resonating with these people, but you didn't find that out until a little bit later. I love that. I love that alignment that kind of came through. And now you are where you are today. I guess things just continued to grow and that's how they did. Wow. Yeah, they did that free blog spot, which by the way, is still up to this day. I always I use it as an example for my clients. Don't look yes. at my website today and go, well, I don't have what Patrice has, so I can't do it. I'm like, there have been many iterations starting with that blog spot. And that led me to writing for other magazines that had, you know, an an audience and platforms, which led me to doing a few radio interviews because one of those articles for another website actually went viral, not in my favor. Um, People were actually upset with me about some things I said. And I was like, well, I'm going to go on this radio show that's tweeting about me and I'm going to defend myself. I had no radio background. (laughs) I wanted to go on and defend myself. Well, long story short, they ate me alive on that radio segment. But it was the thing, it was the catalyst for I need to learn how to do media. So if this ever happens again, I'm going to be ready. Well, I ended up signing up for like a little media type training and I understood, okay, you should have your talking points. And I got some great pointers. Well, I ended up doing more radio. That was 2010 ish, 2011. 2014, I became the personal finance voice of the Steve Harvey Morning Show, which was a nationally syndicated radio show where I had a weekly segment. I wouldn't, that would not have even been in my realm of possibility had I not bombed on that first radio show in Texas. <laughs> that Absolutely. Really, no one I'm sure will ever remember. I'm the only person scarred by it, right? Like, no one else will ever remember it, but it planted a seed. And Along every step of this journey, it's it's just been divinely guided and aligned. And so even when things are not going our way, because I was rejected for potential show opportunities before then, but then I landed a big fish, which was much better than what I had even conceived in my own mind, right? But the thing was to stay committed to the vision Right. And Lisa Nichols taught me this. She says, stay committed to the vision, not attached to how you get there. My heart was to serve people and restore hope if they had experienced any type of financial trauma or financial failures, heartbreak, any of that stuff. How could I be someone who could use my testimony to remind people that it's not over because you have a bad credit score? Okay. It's not over because you've had some negative bank balances. It's not over if you've had to file bankruptcy. It's not over if you've had a car repossessed. You can literally turn this thing around and do it in a way that's authentic to you. It is possible. And my my one hope is like to help people redefine wealth and understand that even this journey of wealth building is not just about money and material possessions. If you focus on that, you're going to miss it. You might, you might get there to some extent, but will it be sustainable? Will you be able to maintain it? And will you do it with a sense of ease and grace and peace? Probably not. So I'm committed to that, Caroline. I'm not attached to what it looks like though. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Like not being attached to what it looks like and really looking at these quote unquote failures as like reroutes and pivots and actually blessings that would say would get you to the place that you needed to be to get you on that radio show and to get your voice out to even more people you know and i think when we talk about money so many people 
are struggling with number one, getting the income to just come in, like feeling that block, there's that one. And then there's the block of, okay, I know how to make the money. I can, I can make the money, but how do I make more or how do I sustain it? And I know that there's, there's probably so much that you have to share on these two different blocks. Yeah. There's like the energetic piece to it. There's the very tangible, practical piece to it. So like, what would you say to someone who's struggling with making money in their business? Let's start there. If you're struggling with making money in your business, I'm going to submit to you that the problem is probably not the business. (laughs) Like the problem is not money. And it's not necessarily the business. At Redefining Wealth, we start with what we call the fit pillar. And that's about becoming your best self. And a lot of people instantly assume, Caroline, that I mean just physically fit. That is definitely a component, right? Yes. You need to be physically able to walk into this vision that you say you have. We get one vessel and you have a duty and responsibility to nurture and nourish that vessel so that it can perform and do what you need it to do. Because let's face it. Gone should be the days that you are working for 50 years to retire and possibly die shortly thereafter because you really didn't take care of yourself the whole 50 years to begin with, right? Mm, like, that's, that's not what we're doing. We're not trying to. It's so real, though. It's, it's so real. real. It's real. I see it every day. And I just turned 40. So I'm at the age now where my friends, our parents are aging. We're in that sandwich generation. So we're seeing you know, Mrs. So-and-so retired in March, dead in May. Mm. Spent her whole life taking care of everyone saying, when I retire, then I'll sleep. When I retire, then I'll do these things. No, those days are over. Like we have to take better care of ourselves, especially as women, especially as women entrepreneurs who wear so many hats and we're always thinking about how everyone else could be served, but then we keep sliding ourselves down that list and in the name of I'm chasing my purpose and I've been there. So I'm not judging. I'm just saying I had to come to the wake of call myself that that wasn't, that's not the thing, (laughs) but for the business owner who is struggling to get to the next level, I would suggest the idea that maybe there's something going on mentally, right? There's obviously blocks are mental. So there's a mental block, but I will say for me, I grew up feeling very ugly. So I was the ugly duckling in the family. So to me, that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. And so I became addicted to achievement because that's how I felt I could earn love. So everybody else may be cute, but damn it, Patrice is going to get an A. We know that. She's going to be class president. She's going to be head of whatever captain of the basketball team. So I was always striving for that because I never felt like, oh, you'll be the pretty one or the cute one or the one the boys like, all those things. Well, obviously that follows you, right? You don't leave high school and it just drops off. Right. So that follows you though. Well, I was 22 years old when my now husband, then boyfriend surprised me. I had gone on a trip to Europe with my best friend for her college graduation, three weeks backpacking all all over the place, Mm. come back. And he has totally decorated my, my brand new apartment. I barely had gotten the keys. So I never did anything. I just took my stuff and left and I would deal with it when I came back. 
When I came back, he totally arranged all my furniture, added pieces of furniture I needed, did all the things. And I was like, this guy is a keeper. Definitely. Definitely. Hung my clothes up, girl. Put my clothes in the drawers. I mean, the guy is a keeper. Wow. But he blew up pictures that he liked of me and had them all over the apartment. And I didn't like to look at myself. And we have been best friends. So I felt that we, you know, graduated into this more romantic relationship because we've been friends and then business partners, but not because he thought I was pretty. And so I, again, crying, (laughs) I swear I don't cry all day, guys, but it is what it is. Here I am crying. And he's like, well, what's wrong? And I'm like, why would you do that? He's like, I, I thought you would love this. And I'm like, but why would you put those pictures up? He's like, pictures of you? He, he could not understand, like, what is wrong with this girl? So I start telling him, like, I don't like looking at myself. I don't like that. You have to take those down. And all he could say is, I think that maybe you should talk to somebody. Maybe you should. So, yeah, he's like, this chick, she needs therapy, like, desperately. So I started going to therapy, like, less than a month later. I was 22 years old at that time. I was 25 before I could look in the mirror without cringing. Wow. I was 25 before I could finally say these years of like working through forgiveness and adapting a new definition of forgiveness, which was giving up the possibility of a better past and learning that hurt people hurt people and learning to have compassion for people who hurt me because I didn't just feel that way. People in my family told me I was ugly. People in my family told me I was the blackie or that my lips were too big or that, you know, all the things they picked apart Mm -hmm. and then layer that with high school, middle school, elementary school being teased for different things. So this was compounded over years. It's Mm -hmm. a miracle that I even got to that point within three years. I had spent 20 plus years feeling the way that I felt. And I say that to say though, when I look at my life today and when I see my face on several books. <laughs> when I look at the fact that I, you know, did, have done years and I continue to do years of national television and speaking on stages with thousands of people and all those things, Caroline, there's no way, there's no way I could be this person. There's no way that I could walk into the wealth that was destined for me. Had I not done my part to go heal my childhood trauma. And Ooh. I want everyone listening to hear me, you may not need another certification. You may not need another degree. You may not need to sign up for another 10 courses with any of us, right? You may, you may need to go sit down and deal and heal your childhood trauma because your business is only going to grow to the extent that you're willing to invest in your healing. When you invest in that healing, you will start to chip away at those blocks that are keeping you from raising your hand, from making the sales call, from doing the marketing that you've already taken courses to learn how to do, from doing all of the things that you've read all the books about. You know what to do, but that mental block is coming probably not from who you are today, but something that happened to you many years ago. Absolutely. 
that is such a powerful message. And I think that we've all, we all have our different like experiences of that, whether it's like the big T trauma or little T, like someone made fun of you on the playground kind of thing. What matters is how we remember it, like how our subconscious perceives those experiences, you know, and whether it was directly said to you or it wasn't, it's like, what's coming up in your body and in your nervous system that's getting in the way of you doing what you said, getting on the sales call, jumping on your Instagram stories, whatever it is, writing the book. And I think that it's so important to talk about money in this way because we're like, okay, make the money, get the job. Cool. Do the things, do all the marketing courses, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, do you love you? Girl. Are you in the way of you? You know? (laughs) Uh, yeah, because because the other part to that though is it's a worthiness thing. A lot of times when we're when we're dealing with the imposter syndrome and we're scared to charge for our worth and we're like it's it's a worthiness thing and it's not rooted in the fact that you're not smart enough. Because I like in my programs, I coach women who have way more degrees than I do. I'm like, I don't, ma'am, I don't even know what all these letters mean. Like you'll have to tell me, right? You're way more book smart than me, but I've been doing a lot of the mental work to like Patrice as Patrice for Patrice. Therefore, when I do something, I don't have to perform. Like there's no performance. There's no like, let me go be this. Like I am the same on and off the stage because I'm just okay with being me. And Whenever we're dealing with that imposter syndrome, it's like, no matter what I do, no matter what books you read, what courses you take, what letters you get behind your name, still somehow you're not enough. They're still not going to like me. What if they find out that I'm not perfect? Guess what? Newsflash. None of us are. (laughs) Beyonce is not perfect. Totally. Celine Dion is not perfect. Whoever you love out there, they're not perfect. Our responsibility is not to be a perfect 10. Our responsibility is to one, be obedience, be in obedience, do our best. Remember that an audience of one is still an audience. And also know that I tell my clients, let's say I'm a seven at best as a speaker, as a podcaster, as whatever you guys call me, however you met me. Okay. (laughs) Let's say I'm a seven at best. My only responsibility is to share what I know with one through sixes. I walk through this earth with, you know what? There's someone at a one who just started a free blogspot.com. And boy, if I could share with her my journey of how I went from that to what I do now and where I am now completely restored well and beyond where I was when I lost everything. I'm beyond that, right? I have, like, my job is to plant seeds so that, or leave crumbs so she can make her way and not have to fumble through, you know, life by herself, knowing, well, if Patrice did it, okay, I can do this. At least I could take this next best step. My job is not to go look for 10. My job is not to go try to teach Beyonce how to dance. Oh my gosh, she would dance me under the table. The dancing is not my ministry, right? (laughs) So my job is to not try to force myself to be seen as whoever would. No, this is who I am in this season, in this way. And there's still value right where I am, even for all the things I still don't know. Mm. I'm yeah, I'm still good enough right now. Yeah. And for some reason, that's such a hard thing to access or to understand. 
Um, but this message that you're sharing with me and with us right now is like, I've been hearing it a lot. Like angels are coming through being like, Caroline, listen to this one. Listen to this one. Like yesterday I did an Instagram live with someone else. And it was about feeling that relief of I'm the same right here doing this live or getting on the stage that I am off of the stage because why would I show up any other way? And to have the, to me, it's, it's the confidence to show up and say, I don't know the answer, you know, and to just be you and to ask and to be seen in that place. I think all of us, it feels like relief. Like it's scary, but it's also like such a relief. It's freedom. Yeah. It's freedom. You know what? I made a lot of money in real estate, but I was very young. Right. I started at 19, got my broker's license at 21. I spent a lot of time trying to prove to people that I was older, old enough because I was 21, but I probably looked 15 on a on a good day. That is so (laughs) young. That is so, so young. You know, I'm super young and I'm already wanting to prove that I'm smart and prove, you know, that I belong and that you should trust me and that I should have 40 year olds on my team when I was in my early 20s. That was so heavy. Yeah. No wonder I couldn't hear Jerry. Yeah. There was so much noise from my family, like growing up from that, all the chatter of me not being good enough and me not being pretty enough. And like all the things were already there. That's what I tell people. It's not that you don't know what you should do. Your mind is too cluttered to receive it. Money is not hard. So for even for people, it's not a business thing. It's like, okay, I'm making money, but why does it seem that I can't really manage it? And I hear all the time, well, I'm a creative, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm creative, so that's not really my thing. It's like, well, money is all of our thing though, because totally. we, we all need it. Right. Totally. Yeah. This yeah. has been like, you know, I, that I don't like to feed into that narrative of like, just because I'm an artist and I make films and I, I make art, whatever that I can't have money. Right. Like the thing is, is that money has been kind of demonized for a lot of us. Cause it's like, if you, if you want money and you have money, then you're a greedy person and, and it's bad. And it's like, well, the reality is, is that a lot of those people exist in the world and there are a lot of really good people that exist in the world as well. And can we kind of, like you said, do the mindset work, get in there and figure out, heal your stuff. You know, whether it's your childhood stuff or those stories that you carry in your body about money, which I know I definitely like, you know, going to art school, I went to SCAD in Savannah, Georgia and like going and being like, but I'm an artist and like my own money story and past tells me that like, but if I want money, that means I'm a bad person. But it's like, no, it's actually going to empower me to be the best version of myself that I could possibly be. So it's like, all of this is just, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I I look at it as, as a way to be able to do more good in the world too. Because the truth is, if I can't pay my bills, totally. how can I give to the magnitude that I want to? You can't. There's so many issues going on. For me, there's all these social justice issues and my heart breaks mm-hmm. for, um, you know, Black maternal rates, like dying at childbirth are crazy. I was one of those people with my son. I could have died in that hospital because they did not care because they thought I was just a young, some young black kid that didn't, even though I was a 25 year old woman, but I looked 13 or 14. So they, they tried to, you know, just disregard. I like, I think about all these things and the organizations that I can give to, to support. I can't do that without money. 
And so at some point you have to, you have to understand that it is beyond you and your basic living. Your basic living is basic. Like that's nothing. That's just for you to keep food and shelter, right? But your legacy, no one's going to be like, you know what? Caroline paid her rent on time every month. (laughs) Your landlord's not going to stand up and do that at your funeral. You know, your mortgage company (laughs) is not going to come out and be like, now, I don't know about you guys, but boy, was that mortgage on time without fail for 30 years. Those are not the things that you will be remembered for. Those are not the things that will ensure that when, when it's your time to go, people will truly be moved. And you will be missed because of what you were able to do in their lives. And not because you were always able to financially give, but also give of your time, give of your expertise, give of your presence. Having the money creates a freedom so that, yes, I get paid five figures to speak. But, you know, I speak at a lot of nonprofits to help single mothers, too, in South Central Los Angeles, where I'm from. And they don't pay a dime. And I don't want them to pay a dime. Right. Those that can pay pay so that I can have the time to invest in those that can't, that can't. That's what money does. Yes. You're exactly right. I mean, I love this so much and, and it's, it's bigger than you. Like you said, it's bigger than the money, but it's also about going back to what you said before. It's about that audience of one. It's about that person hearing you on your journey, tell your story and being able to get in front of more people there, like speaking in those places where you're from. And it's just, it's so powerful. And, and I, I needed to hear this again. Like I'm, I'm really working on this myself right now, but I'm like, I needed to hear this again. And I feel like so many people in my community and in my closer circles, like we all need to hear this. I'm going to send them this episode because it's so simple, but for some reason hard to, to kind of integrate. So I, I love this so much. And I, I'm sure your book is phenomenal. I, like, I was just going to say, you know what? That's why I wrote the book in the way that I did so that, and it's redefine wealth for yourself, that you can literally open it to any page and have that one mini lesson for the day. It, it almost says I, like in hindsight, it almost feels like a devotional, not because it's super churchy, but because it's like, you know how you can open a devotional to a day and you're like, what's the lesson for the day? It's written in that way where you have like one mindset shift, like something to consider or one new thought, or one practical step you can take. And then you can let that marinate. Like you can meditate on that for a week, for two weeks. You can be like, this is my lesson for this month. And I'm just going to practice embodying this lesson until it becomes a part of me. And then I'll move on to the next lesson. That's how it's written. Wow. I have full body chills. And this is like what you said at the very beginning of this conversation of like, are we listening? Or are we not? And being obedient to God, being obedient to source, to the messages that you're receiving, to your own intuition. I love that. That's a different way of like using the word obedience. And um, I'm going to take that one with me for sure. (laughs) Take all the nuggets. I'm getting nuggets from you too. I love it. I love these conversations. Me too. Me too. And I just want to make sure everybody knows like where they can get your book, where they can find you and all of that juicy stuff. 
Yeah, well, you can find all things Patrice Washington at patricewashington.com. Of course, you can pick up a copy of the book at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a lot of local retailers across the country. It just depends on your city. And let's see, you can follow me in social media. My favorite place to play is Instagram right now. Seek Wisdom PCW is my name. It's my reminder to seek wisdom. So Seek Wisdom PCW. And now I get it so much more. I was like, seek wisdom. Hmm, we're going to dig into this one. But now I totally get it. <laughs> well, I ask everybody this on the show. What is your helmet, Patrice? My helmet would have to be my prayer room. I bought my entire house because there was a small room off my closet that is the furthest room away from any and everything else in my house. And I walked in and instantly energetically felt at peace. Like this is where I'm supposed to be. I had already had an offer on another home and I withdrew that offer for a house that was newer (laughs) and cheaper as a matter of fact. But I just felt like if I had that space, I would utilize it in such a way that to facilitate true healing and just transformation and enlightenment. So that space is where when, when things get rough and when they're not, just as a daily practice, every other day um, practice, I sit there, I read, I meditate, I journal, I stretch, I lay out, I let the sun rise and the sun hit my face while I'm lying on the floor in there. That is my helmet. That is the thing that keeps me covered and keeps me going. I love that so much. There's something about those spaces that just speak to you and having that designated like altar space of this is where I come to do my work. (laughs) So beautiful. Well, thank you so much for all of this. I'm definitely gonna have to go back and listen. And I know it's gonna inspire so many people, those beautiful audiences, however small or big, I know people are gonna gain so much from this. So thank you so, so much. Uh, Thank you. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode as well. Again, just another opportunity to get to know a little bit more about me from possibly a different perspective. Shout out to Caroline for such a thoughtful interview. What a soul sister type conversation. I just really, really enjoyed that conversation and I hope that you did too. So next week, I'll be back with a brand new episode and I can't wait for you to hear it. I'm super excited And just know, I believe by the time you hear this, I will be rejuvenated and refreshed and all those great things and so ready to just continue to pour into the Redefining Wealth community. Thank you so much for grace. Uh, Thank you so much for all the well wishes, the prayers. I just really appreciate this community. I'm just grateful, super grateful. So until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.